welcome to episode 359 of Troubadours and Rakan Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature a conversation with regular contributor, writer, activist, baker, and candlestick maker, Kitty Bell Burbank. Kitty Bell and I talk about women's suffrage, what the description of a mother usually is, intelligence, the danger of the American professor, the controversy around Amazon's TV series, Hunters, truth in the stories we tell. Also, we discuss a story that Kitty Bell shares with us by Norman Fisher from his new book, The World Could Be Otherwise. We discuss the preparation for the, quote, real world, among other things. A great conversation with Kitty Bell Burbank on this week's episode. We have an EWSA titled Plume and a poem by yours truly called Said He. And, of course, as is always the case, all of this will be infused, imbued with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It's so nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 359 of Troubadours and Tours. Yo, 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 what up, Brooklyn? Thank you for coming out to the Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings listening party. Glad to see everybody out here tonight. Let's keep it going, guys. Here, searching for a new day. Keep my cool 
plume. The flaming lips of my desire radiate with a benevolence that only the truly touched can taste. My ears are tuned and waiting to hear your transmission, though it seems what most people feel comfortable with is white noise. The feet that I stand up on are ready to lead, and two are ready to follow and to walk alongside. Which way do we abide? The winter leaves are closer to detritus as the elders in my clan continue to suffer their arthritis, and my chi is flowing moderate at this moment. As you stand there looking for a place to sit and watch me, and all that your eyescape can its attention commit to see, wondering where you might fit, hoping it's not too late, and then the noon whistle blows you back to work, while the chancery and municipality folk gossip and smirk at your great adventure, as an honest person looking for a home, slowly transforming into a passive drone, humming that same old sorry-ass tune, waiting for the hope that comes with spring flowers and colorful bloom. In the meantime, maybe we should reorganize our rooms. The walls could use a dusting. And while I muster the energy, I shall dance and sing a soulful tune, a wistful nincompoop, romantically thinking of the perfume of purplish lilacs in June bright enough to realize from this physical place such ephemeral beauty lies deep and eternal. Regardless of what you and I might vainly surmise otherwise, just another colorful feather in a plume. Cause you knew I was low 
Head gone rolling off the throne I remember, I remember we was in the park Late night made love on the grass Got my head in the clouds counting all my stars In my ear said the world was ours Went to hell and back to heal my wounds Cause it gets like that, wrong side of the moon No tune car moon, you're my Cleopatra No side thing, don't need a backer Need a real one, don't need an actor A last one's fate, think you want a BAFTA uh, Come and be my girl could you tell where my head was at when you found me? Me and you went to hell and back just to find peace Man, I thought I had everything, I was lonely Now you're my everything, I was lonely Kitty Bell, is that you? Yes, I am here. Kitty Bell Burbank, ladies and gentlemen, regular contributor, writer, activist, baker, and candlestick maker. It's wonderful to have you once again on Troubadours and Rock on Tours. And um, uh, you wanna you wanna start a little light, it seems. This go around. You wanna get into uh, the fact that it's the wonder 100 year anniversary of women's suffrage. <laughs> is that light? Yeah. Yeah, a little light. <laughs> a little light. Uh, it's a little too light, I think. Um, I, I know people haven't, they're not even aware. Yeah. It, I, it's I, not I, being talked about. It's, it's not. It's almost March. Now, hopefully in March, which is Women's History Month, we will hear more about it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you hate to say it, but if it was... You know, the 100 year anniversary of men getting the right to vote, we'd be hearing about it every five seconds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, what am I, I going to say? You're right. You're, yeah. You're absolutely right. Uh, I, and, you know, you, you had a, a question attached to that observation that it's, you know, the 100 year anniversary. Uh, since the women has, uh, since women have give, been given, I guess if that's the right word, they they fought for <laughs> three generations. Um, I mean, after Susan B. Anthony drafted that Nineteenth Amendment, uh, it it took seventy more than seventy years before they finally got it passed. So, given would not be the right word. Right, I would say fought. Yeah. Yeah, and given is is sort of condescending too, in a way. Well, it, it it was men who cast the votes to decide to give women suffrage to an extent. Um, the, so what happened was that it, they were like, this needs to be a state-by-state thing, right? It's They didn't want to make a federal case out of it. They wanted it, each state to decide. So as more and more states, mostly in the West, um, 
chose to give women the right to vote, women started to have political power. They started to be able to have influence in in the elections. And that's when things changed. So you could say it was votes of men who decided to give women the right to vote, but they did it under extreme pressure um, of losing their office. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's been a hundred years, and yet we have not elected a female to the highest office in the land, right? Right. And that's an, a question that you wanted to sort of attach to this observation, that it is the hundredth year since women have earned the right to vote, have been, um, you know, they've been in other very significant positions of leadership and power, still not to the extent as men, uh, I think it's safe to say. Um, But the presidency, not yet, and not this year either, I don't think. I, I wish. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, I, I love Elizabeth Warren, but, um, and, and I think that she showed everyone that, that she could take the debate stage in that, that last debate, which I, I didn't even see. But the consensus of what I read from every direction was so strong that she kicked butt. <laughs> but it, it, that doesn't even matter, I guess. No, um, doesn't matter. Hillary won every debate against Donald. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess she has gone up in the polls. They they've said that you know, recent national polls since then have have shown her second, but um, it's not going to be enough probably to to get the nomination unless the the other people in the party somehow manage to turn on Bernie in a way we haven't thought about. Um, but who who wants it? You know, you don't want it that way. I don't want it that way. <laughs> you know, for as much as I would love to see a, a woman in charge, if just for a change of pace, if nothing else, I mean, we let Donald Trump be the president, <laughs> you know, like, really? <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's. Well, yeah, that that changes everything. You know, I, I was just talking to a friend, honestly, uh, 30 minutes ago, and we were talking about the state of public, you know, political affairs in, in the United States. And um, I never, you know, I never thought that I I would be able to, you know, be president. But after Donald Trump became, has become president, I think any of us, you know, can walk into that office and, and do better. I'm pretty sure the the bar is so low now, in other words, and to, and to, you know, even think that a person can't be the president because of their sex is absurd. You know, I mean, how can and everyone would say that, right? But yet at the same time, there's something in the way. Yeah. There's, there, there's either, you know, she's too angry but like, so you expect women to be nice, yeah, but, and yeah. then say that they're not tough enough, but when they're tough, then people are uncomfortable with that. Right. Um, you know, and I see that right. on a small scale, like in the classroom and stuff, my students think that they should be able to just, mm-hmm. you know, I, I have a class that's all young men and they're, you know, testosterone packed aggressive athletes 
and and they don't think that I should have power in the room. And I know that if I was their coach, it'd be a whole other story. But right. because I'm a middle-aged woman, it, they they just don't want to they don't want to put me in that role. So why do you think on a not on a national level, even women, we've come we've talked about this before ourselves, I believe. Mm-hmm. Even women do not support women. Right, we have talked about that. Why is that? Why you know why Hillary lost probably in large part because she's a woman, right? Not just because of her baggage politically or because of her demeanor, her personality only. Uh, you know, some people could argue that she she's not the most you know endearing of of uh, individuals in the way she carries herself but i think it more so it right w- would we ask a man to be endearing right right <laughs> no <laughs> that's not a requirement I, I i don't i don't understand it but uh mm-hmm. you know i think we're getting closer i yeah. really do I, I i do uh i think it's it's what we're comfortable with it's what what just looks right or wrong to us it's, um, you know, I mean, you see it even on, on, I used to complain when I worked at the newspaper and it would be like the Mother's Day issue and the description they had of like what a mother was really upset me. It was like she, she bandages your cuts, she bakes you cookies it was all these very like subservient things that you you know that women do to serve like in a in almost like they could be a housekeeper way mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's what a mother was to them i i'm like really because that's not necessarily the way that i was a mother but it's that's what we expect that's what we're used to seeing and when we see something that is contradictory to that it unnerves us well i was reading an article maybe you saw this too recently i don't know where it was but uh the analysis had to do with exactly what you're you're talking about uh female candidates have always contextualized who they are in 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 the you know in in the context of motherhood uh, whenever they're saying what their strengths are and why they'd be good at that position as a leader, it's because, in some large, to some large uh, extent, uh, their experience as mothers. You know that, w- right. and, and if you didn't do it that way, then you weren't going to connect with enough people to get votes. Right, and we're suspicious of intelligence. Oh, gener- um, generally speaking, men. Right. You know, yes. So. I think we have a history uh, as a voting public of showing that if a candidate is too smart, that they, they, we turn on them, um, whether it's Al Gore or, or whoever, you know. Um, and, and so I think that Elizabeth Warren's obviously superior intelligence isn't necessarily an asset <laughs> even though I'm like, but she's, you know, brilliant and she has, she's a professor and, and she's the smartest one up there. That's not necessarily, it impresses me, but it's not necessarily what people are going to vote for. So it's like a double whammy. You're saying she's a woman and she's smart and she's the smartest person in the room. So the, you know, two reasons to feel uncomfortable and maybe even threatened. Right. 
Absolutely. Well, there's definitely an anti-intellectualism that exists to a, a large extent in this country, I, I found. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, I don't know why that is. Right. Uh, if you listen to right-wing radio, like Michael Savage goes off on the, you know, the, the intellectual elite, he's always bringing down professors as saying that in colleges we are brainwashing people uh, to to be communists, <laughs> as if these young minds have no ability to think for themselves, and they're going into colleges and getting turned into communists. Well, I mean, you and I are professors, and we do indeed uh, operate in that manner, let's be honest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're having a meeting after this interview with other, you know, colleagues to talk about how we, how we're going to brainwash the youth of America to, yeah, vote for socialists. Right, anti-capitalism, yep. degrowth, uh, <laughs> communes, free sex, you know, fluidity <laughs> of gender, uh, love and compassion, share, yeah. you know, sharing lawnmowers, I, not, you know, and, and and no showering. Right, and we're trying to lower the cost of college tuition because we think that's going to get us a raise. <laughs> right. Really, I never looked. Yeah, wow. We're we're not taking care of ourselves too well in that regard. No. Um, yeah. Talking to Kitty Bell Burbank here on Troubadours and Rock On Tours, and uh, we we're delving into the I guess the mindset of of some of our fellow citizens and uh, joking around a bit too about some of the extreme points of view that come from uh, the right-wing media about intellectuals, quote-unquote. I don't even, I mean, what does that even mean, intellectual? I mean, if you read something, if you know yeah. history, I mean, what is, you know, what is that? That's intellectualism? Basically, anyone that can think for themselves who doesn't, you know, just soak up the propaganda that they're given, I think, is a threat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. You know, and it's the downfall of family. Of, of of patronage to a church uh, or synagogue, I suppose, or or mosque. Uh, you know, it's it's anti it's anti uh, values to to think for yourself to to question authority. I mean, I think sometimes that is an underlying uh, impl implication. You know, these people are just they don't respect the structure of society. Yeah, I don't know. I mean. Encouraging people to think for themselves is the opposite opposite of communism. <laughs> There's just so many holes in the argument. It's I don't know. It's not even worth fighting about. But it, it's it amuses me on a regular basis that um, that college professors are such a threat to the fabric of society. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. We're so, we're so dangerous, scary. Uh, now let's yeah. let's move on to um, the 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 uh, notion that uh, a writer and, mm. and a creator of a of a fictional uh, world uh, based on uh, real life events has to be true to to uh, the details or to history. And not not fictionalize certain aspects of of that world, because it. And I'm talking about hunters, the uh, the series on Amazon Prime. It's it's been scrutinized uh, mm -hmm. a bit by the way it's portraying the Holocaust. Right, and it, ha, ha, you haven't seen it by any no, chance. No, I yet, read have a little you? bit. I know Al Pacino's in it. 
One yeah, of my, one of my who's favorites. not Jewish, which some people are concerned about. Some people think he's an actor. He can. It's fine. Um, I don't know if people if maybe that kind of rubs people the wrong way too. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're not really talking about that though. They're talking about, um, and it's not everybody. I mean, um, the show is created by what's his name? I read it this morning. Wheel, wheel. Yes, there you go. I mean, and he's presumably uh, Jewish. He talks about his grandmother who was a survivor um, of Auschwitz, of, of Auschwitz, of, right? Right. So. Um, so it's not like he's, it's not like cultural appropriation where he has no history with this culture himself. Um, so I think that's all the more reason that I, I can, I mean, you can kind of see it from both ways. So he's got some scenes in this show that are over the top, you might say. Um, even some of the, the characters, it's obviously fictional and I think they have to, make it obviously fictional because this is almost like a fantasy world, but it's set in the past, right? So this is in the seventies, the late seventies. And there are this squad of people that get put together by a a survivor of the Holocaust, a, a Jewish millionaire to go after Nazis who've relocated in the United States. And they found out that they're here. Um, so they need to make these characters obviously fictional so that we know that that's imaginary, right? I have no problem with that. It's almost comic book-like, some of these characters that they have. You know, there's an actor who's, like, really, like, sleazy, egotistical Hollywood actor like you would imagine from the 70s. You know, there's, like, a, a nun with guns, you know? <laughs> <laughs> there's a, a Japanese man who's really good at like martial arts and stuff. So, but they're kind of, you, you can tell maybe that they're not real people, I think. But then the matter of the Holocaust is real. This actually happens. You know, all of these millions of people were exterminated. And so that's where it gets a little sticky because a lot of, there is evidence that, the Holocaust took place, but yet there are still some people who refuse to believe that it's true, which I don't understand. And that's the, the fear. Um, the, the folks that I, I think it's the Holocaust museum, uh, the Auschwitz museum. Yeah. Uh, Auschwitz, excuse me, Auschwitz museum. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, they're concerned that this could breed or give him some sort of material, uh, justification for, uh, Holocaust deniers um, or revisionists to to uh, use, and right. but Wheel David Wheel the the creator of the show as you mentioned his grandmother survived Auschwitz, and um, he he's not trying to say this didn't happen. Those scenes that you said that are over the top, they're brutal scenes. There are scenes of torture and and of ugliness toward humanity. Um, in the context of the Holocaust, so right, I, I haven't seen the program, but it, it seems I just wanted it to be clear. It's not like this program is saying, "Oh, the Holocaust didn't happen," or it wasn't that bad. Right. It's showing it in, in in a way that's very brutal and and very, it, it's just not accurate. Right, right. Well, I mean, it's it's imagined, 
right? And I think that this is art. This isn't history. It's a TV show. It's not a documentary, right? So they need to show the brutality in a way that's watchable, right? Just watching sadistic butchery, I'm going to turn the TV off, all right? I don't want to see that. But by showing it in a way that is more imaginative, that is more artistic, it allows us to watch it. And I think that's one of the things that they're missing because, you know, we need to understand how brutal it was, but yet we need to be able to watch it at the same time. So how do you solve that problem? Right. And, you know, I I read an article that included an interview with David Wheel before our conversation today to get a little background information. And the way he uh, responds to the criticism that the the events that uh, he portrays aren't aren't real is he he didn't want to portray real events because he thought that would be disrespectful and uh, that even, makes sense yeah even, and he also uh, all the tattoos that uh, he he has on the characters in the in the show hunters again it's called um, are started a number one larger than the highest number that they know was ever tattooed on, on someone in, in one of these death camps in, uh, during the Holocaust. So he didn't inadvertently show somebody who actually existed based on a, a tattoo number. So it seems to me <clears throat> his whole argument is I, I don't want to try to revisit uh, and depict what actually occurred because I don't want to disrespect anyone or you know, mis misrepresent what actually occurred. I'm just doing something different that, right. that still gets across, as you said, the the horror of of what the Holocaust was. Yeah, and I've heard recently that <clears throat> some some younger students aren't aware. They I don't know if they just haven't learned about it or they just missed that part of history. How but do there, you miss that? there are young people that just don't know that this was actually a thing, or that they do think it's fiction, and. So, I mean, we're not necessarily going to get them to go to the the museum. (laughs) You know, they're not going to sit down and watch a documentary. So how do we get the knowledge of this, of what happened to these people across and and in in the minds of of people who don't know that didn't live through it, that don't have grandparents to hear their stories? Right. This might prompt them to actually read about what actually did occur. Uh, yeah, exactly. And find I, out I, the, the truth, yeah. I think that the possibility of a little misperception is worth the risk of having of losing this, of, of having the knowledge only be, you know, in, in, in the Jewish culture and then not available to everyone else. What about uh, the criticism? I'm sure it's out there. I'll throw it out there for the sake, sake of discussion, that here are some people making money off of that horrific uh, suffering that human beings had to uh, endure? I I don't know. I don't see it. I mean, I'm not watching the show because that's what it's about. But they're going to make money, you know, the production company, the actors. And they could make money off of something else. Um, I I think if, if artists are working and creating a product that is a viable product that is worthy of consumption, then they should get paid for it. Um, Do people make too much money in the entertainment industry? Probably, but they probably make too much money playing football too. Like, I don't know. Um, 
that's a tough one. I, I don't think that they're exploiting the Holocaust to make money. I, I think that, I mean, are they exploiting the the old West or whatever the, when they make Westerns or um, whatever other genres we have, you know, um, are, are they exploiting the space program if they make a science fiction story? I mean, you have to, they're subjects. I think that it belongs to the world. It belongs to culture. What we do with it is, um, you could do it for free in, you know, a basement in West Scranton, but no one's going to see it. Good point. Now, how about uh, something else you shared with me uh, that you wanted to delve into? And it, it kind of connects, I guess. You mentioned that truth is in the stories we tell. There is truth in the stories that we tell. What, what, right. did, what, did, you, what did you mean? Um, one of the things that I think is fascinating by this show is that the stories of what happened in these camps is passed orally from the people who survived it to their to other people to other people in the camps that witnessed it to their family afterwards and they didn't have ways to document it right so they can't necessarily prove everything that they experienced or saw along the way um but the stories that they told and that come up in this show which may be like fictional stories but this is the way that these things transpire and uh, there's a. I'm going to read this to you, okay? Yes. What is this? It? Is this is from Norman Fisher's new book? Now he's my favorite monk, and I know I've talked about him before. He's a Soto Zen priest. Um, this book is "The World Could Be Otherwise: Imagination and the Bodhisattva Path," but it starts with a um, a story from the concentration camp, and it's really short. Um, he says, here's a story about how imagination changes the world, even in the worst possible circumstances. It involves the French surrealist poet, Robert Desnos. Uh, Desnos was Jewish during World War II. He went underground to fight for the resistance. He was captured and sent to the concentration camps. One day, along with many other men, Desnos is crowded onto the bed of one of the trucks that transports prisoners from the barracks. The men fully understand where they are going. The trucks always leave the barracks full and return empty. Their destination is the gas chambers and the ovens. No one in the truck bed speaks. The mood is resigned, stricken, eyes lowered, faces grim. When the truck arrives, the prisoners slowly and silently descend as if in a dream. The guards, normally full of jokes and banter, fall silent, unable to avoid catching the prisoners' mood. But this almost religious silence is abruptly interrupted. One of the men in the line of prisoners suddenly, with great animation, jumps up, pivots, grabs the hand of the man behind him. Astonishingly, his nose almost touching the man's hand, his body coiled tight with energy, he begins to read the man's palm. I am so excited for you, he exclaims happily. You are going to live a very long life. You are going to have three children, a beautiful wife, wealth, so fantastic, so wonderful. His excitement is contagious. First one man, then another in shock and bewilderment thrusts out his hand. Each one receives the same sort of prediction. Long life, children, wealth, exciting career, beautiful surroundings, peace, happiness, success, joy unending. As Desnos reads palm after palm, the atmosphere of the moment, drop by drop at first, and then, as if in a sudden tidal wave, breaking all at once, completely transformed. 
The prisoners are smiling, laughing, clapping one another on the back, their burden lifted, their reality transformed. Even more astonishingly, the guards are also affected. Like the prisoners, they had been living a dark spell in which the marching of men to slaughter was a normal and acceptable everyday occurrence. But now, with this absurd and unprecedented event, this sudden and gratuitous evocation of alternative reality, the spell is broken. The guards are disoriented, confused. The reality they had been living a moment ago has somehow suddenly cast into doubt all but shattered. They are no longer sure what is real and what is not. Perhaps their better natures, long suppressed in an effort to conform to the Nazi madness that defined their world, long numb to the grief, the guilt, the horror, were stirred by Desnos's powerful commitment to his absurd, but perhaps not absurd, vision. Who knows? They are, in any case, so undone by the jolly scene in front of them that they no longer know what to do. They can't go through with the executions, so they march the prisoners back onto the truck bed and send them back to the barracks. So he then traces how this story came to him. <laughs> it's a true Des story. Well, he's that's what he's not sure, right? He says Desnos survived the camps but did not survive the war. He died from typhus a few days after liberation. He, Norman Fisher, who tells the story here, got it from a poet, uh, Alan Bernheimer, who was a translator of Desnos, who got it from the writer Susan Griffin, who heard it from her friend, Odette, who is a writer and survivor of the Holocaust. And Norman Fisher says when he first heard it, he was, a tr he was tremendously moved. But he said, is it true? Did it really happen? It sounds too good to be true. He doesn't know, so he contacted this person. She said she believed it. This other person didn't witness it, but had heard it from people who said that they had. So finally, he came to the conclusion, of course, this has to be true. One way or another, it happened. And I think that's kind of the idea of these stories. We, we don't know. We weren't there. The people who were there, they, they told other people who told other people. <laughs> but there's still truth in the stories. I get, what, what is the truth that you might say exists in that story? That there's human hope? Or that they actually weren't slaughtered? Or that this man actually changed the mindset and the, the soulfulness in that, in that uh, train? Yeah. Um, Norman Fisher says, I feel it's truth and it changes me because it expresses something essential about who we are as human beings. So sometimes we need to tell stories <laughs> that aren't, you know, th that don't have factual evidence behind them because it's the best way to communicate what needs to be said and what needs to be told. See, th there you go, you liberal... Uh, sort of unrealistic, idealist professor. This is <laughs> this is the kind of stuff you're telling your students, and then you're not preparing them to be ready for the real world. I think that that does prepare you for the real world. How are you going to interpret the situation? How are you going to perceive it? What do you want your life to be like? What power can you have when you feel powerless? I think that absolutely applies to life skills. I agree. I agree totally. Yeah. 
Wow, that was such a beautiful story. I know it was a little bit long, but I think it was worth it. No, and it, no. It's directly tied into this this show, like in a way that just blew me away. So overall, we would say that this particular conversation, we're we're talking about, as we always are, human rights, human dignity, you know, aspirations to grow as an individual and as a society. Um, I suppose, right? Uh, some some prejudices too, and mm-hmm. you know the m- women not being elected to pres the presidency. Um, uh, people who are in charge of the history of a very important, uh, profoundly important event in human history, namely the Holocaust being concerned about it being misrepresented through art. Uh, but art, in in the way coming from the human soul and the human spirit, transcending the, the rut and, and the trappings of our human day-to-day and how, how important it is for art to, do, to allow us to, to escape and to transcend those trappings. These are all things that came out of our conversation, from what I'm hearing, from you know what my my mind. What do you think? See what you can do in half an hour. I know. <laughs> it's amazing, Kitty Bell Burbank. It, it is. Yeah. So, anything else before we we? we... Well, just if, if people are interested in um, women's history and um, the women's suffrage story. We are going to be talking more about that on my television show <laughs> on Electric City Television, which is not under Kitty Bell Burbank, but um, people could find it if they want to. Well, you can give the name of the show if you want. The show is called Running Lines, and it is theater-based. So we're going to be talking about women in theater, which is, you know, similarly come a long way, but not quite far enough yet. And um, and and women in charge being necessary in order for women to get a platform to tell stories that will hopefully continue to change the world. And, um, and will, will people be able to access this anywhere? Like- yes. Yes. It's on YouTube. Um, so we have one episode done um, and it's on the electric city television, YouTube channel. Excellent. Running lines. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I love radio, though. I'm much thinner on radio. <laughs> the camera just, just adds that extra, which is painful. But, you know, nobody really cares except me. So yeah, I got I to get over it. Yeah, yeah. People are, are more interested in what you have to say. You know, you have a great Isn't mind. that nice? Isn't yeah. that nice of them? Yeah, it is. It should be that way. Uh, and that's what makes someone attractive anyway, you know, uh, in my view. Yeah, the, the the physical stuff is nice for sure, but if you don't have some good stuff coming out of the, the your your brain and out of your heart and soul, the other stuff is not attractive anymore to me, at least. Well, until next time, thanks thanks again for your for uh, your insight and your energy. Really, really enjoy talking with you, Kitty Bell Burbank. Thank you for the conversation. My pleasure. Bye. Bye.
said he, Hold my hand as we walk stoically through these avenues made of contraband, filtered through systems of illusion and delusion concocted by the man, until we have all accepted it as the only reality that can possibly be. Eventually, perhaps, we shall be free. Too die, not dying, not too last. 
And there you have it, episode 359 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, our good friend, Kitty Bell Burbank. I also would like to thank these musical artists, Django Reinhardt. Stefan Grappelli, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings, Bakar, Herbie Hancock, Big Thief, and of course Terence Blanchard and Branford Marsalis, too. Thanks so much for listening. Until next week, let's give it a go and try to enjoy this one. Take care.